On this episode of Cinema Smorgasbord Presents, we do our own stunts. Jackie Chan is back doing comedy, sort of. Loe has two films sitting on the shelf after the global success of Snake in the Eagle's Shadow and Drunken Master. And now we're looking at the second, Half a Loaf of Kung Fu. Welcome to We Do Our Own Stunts, a chronological look at the life and work of martial arts superstar Jackie Chan. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me is the world's deadliest man, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Pretty good, Doug. I mean, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if we should change the name of the, the, the podcast, but we'll get there in a little bit. <laughs> Always a controversial title. Uh, in fact, I think I mentioned on one of our other podcasts, semi-recently, that I don't really care about the title for this podcast anyway. It's not, not my favorite, uh, but it gets the, the idea across, at least for people who were around in the 90s. That uh, remember the marketing campaign for Rumble in the Bronx? They were very high on the idea of old Jackie Chan doing his own stunts. I don't know that there's a better title out there in the sense that, like, <laughs> well, I mean, there are there un- unlike some of our other shows, there are other Jackie Chan podcasts. We're not yes. we're not the pioneers, and I think all of their titles are bad. So I don't know. I I, I think the problem, and, and this is just a, a a shadow of the past. But a shadow of the past means titling anything as two Western white men uh, related to an Asian actor. It yeah. inevitably runs the risk of uh, falling into a pun that's also racist. You know, like there's just so much of that in the history of naming things in our culture that I think we do our own stunts, which is so much safer. Like there's nothing about it that I think is is in and of itself othering or related to stereotypes about the culture. It's just, it's a marketing thing that we mostly believed when we were kids. And so there you go. Uh, the, the, some of the other uh, Jackie Chan podcast titles are Chansplaining. How do you, what do you think about that? No, one? no. I mean, here, well, I will say this, who are the hosts of Chansplaining? I, I don't know. <laughs> I can't listen. You know how, uh, if you're uh, like a, um, a TV writer that you can't read other people's scripts because you might accidentally get influenced by them. That's what I feel oh. about these other podcasts. Oh, uh, okay. There's, I, there's I, don't listen, called, I don't listen to them, but I would steal their ideas in a second. There's one called Car Foo, a Jackie Chan podcast. No, thank you. Car Foo. I'm sure they explained it on the show. I shouldn't make fun of it because they could make fun of our name and I don't want anyone making fun of me. Uh, Liam, that does lead into something, um, which is recently... The video essay YouTube channel Accents in Cinema did a video called Someone Made a Movie to Diss Jackie Chan. And this is a video ostensibly about Wang Jing's film High Risk, starring Jet Li, uh, but also really about the public perception in the West of Jackie Chan. And it really is a, a, a video that's meant to dispel some of the myths around it. And that's what you were referencing yeah. in regards to our title. T- t- what did you think of this video? Well, I think it was... Uh, relatively even-handed. I think that uh, it's interesting for good reason because of the mythology in the West about Jackie Chan, right? Uh, he focuses a, a large amount of attention on this idea of the stunts, which we'll get into in a sec. Sure. But, you know, I think for us as podcasters, we've talked more about his personal life and his political views because what we didn't want to do is create a show 
that was clearly sort of idolizing someone who it turns out was not a good person. Right. Um, right, right. And and of course, I think he points out that it's more complicated than that. That in fact, making any of these folks heroes is bad and that um you know, while while not that we should excuse someone's actions who's hurt people, um the idea that like Jackie Chan, because he's good at something, is somehow a better person than other people <laughs> like <laughs> right. him, you know. And you know, he makes a few comments as someone who you know maybe has more uh, knowledge of the culture uh, than we do. Like I, I don't know what the perception of his of him is in China, and so it was helpful to have someone say. Even in mainland China, this opinion is controversial. Yeah, <laughs> and I was right. like, okay, cool, cool, cool. That's good to know. Because I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just you know other parts of the world that are like, wait, what did Jackie Chan say? So uh, I thought all I mean, that it, was – that I should We should say that that particular section you're referring to is about Jackie Chan's vocal support of authoritarianism uh-huh. in China. Uh-huh. Uh, specifically and, saying and that suggestion that it was yeah, culturally necessary, which I think yeah. is just kissing up on, on absorbed racism to me. It's, I, I won't go so far, but it's it's right there, right? It's real. Yeah. It's, it's just not fair. It's not a fair comment, first of all. But it's something that we've referred to in the past on yes, this. I, I yes. wanna, what I want to make particularly clear is that I don't – I was not surprised by anything in this video, but I can see someone who had only yes. – um, who who's really only kept a surface level interest in Jackie Chan and only has watched his like interviews and things like that in the West? They yeah. probably would be very surprised, including the quote unquote reveal uh, that Jackie Chan doesn't do his own stunts, which is something I knew. Well, actually, we shouldn't say that. It's not that he doesn't do his own stunts; he does a right. lot of his own stunts. But well, uh, yeah, I, please let, let me let me split this one down the middle. I I knew that he didn't exclusively do his own stunts, which is the perception that people have in the West. My big reveal was like, okay, they they got multiple shots of this thing. Jackie Chan didn't fall down the side of the building four times. You know, he he maybe at most did it twice, and then someone else came in so that they could get more angles, which I, honestly solved the problem for me. Because, you know, when I was a kid and I wasn't quite sure our movies work, I'd be like, how'd they get so many different shots of him doing this fucking thing? Because it just seemed like a lot of takes of him yeah. doing frankly, very dangerous things. And and you would wonder, right? And I and I, I wasn't sure. I mean, I was always a little skeptical of to what extent. And so then at some point somewhere, it was revealed to me, and it might have been from him, it might have been from some know-it-all somewhere, I don't know, that like obviously he doesn't do the stunts over and over again. The part I was surprised at that I shouldn't have been is how often he also uses stuntmen because the stunt person might be better at fighting than he is and gets a better angle on something. Which is like the classic Kung Fu thing anyway, right? We see this all the time in the movies that we've watched so far where it's, you know, a person has to do something very acrobatic that they're not capable of doing. But at this time, they would use like Yun Biao would just come in and do the flip for him and then they'd swap him out, right? But this is me buying into the mythology more. Like, the mythology wasn't shaken by... He didn't jump through all those lights at the mall twice, right? Like, right. He, he, if if they needed another shot, someone else stepped in because he only needs to risk his life one time. That was easy. Then he still, to me, I mean, I guess because I understand how movies work, he right. still he still is a god then because he did it once. And uh, unless you're Tom Cruise, who I'm convinced wants to die, most stars are like, I'm not fucking doing that. So he's still super cool. But finding out that, like, yeah, he's done his own stunts. But also, he's got a team of people who help him figure the shit out, who sometimes step in. Even the thing with Rumble in the Bronx, he only jumped from the one building to the other building once. The other take was the director. (laughs) 
that shit's crazy, man. It's crazy. And like, it's uh, what the video does that maybe hadn't, it had occurred to me in a lot of different cases. And when he said it, it didn't rock my world. But I just had never thought of it before, Doug, which is in idolizing Jackie Chan the way we do, we ignore the team, right? Yeah. The, the 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 people. And in his case, it's even more disrespectful because I've seen the award ceremony where he's surprised where all of his old students and yeah. mm-hmm. come out and they like thank him for his... It's not just that he has um, collaborators or uh, colleagues. He has a fucking generation of accomplished stunt people who yep. all learned underneath him. And Many yet, of them are names in their own right, like people yeah, who are well-known in that, in that field. Huge fucking people. And yet we still act like he's a man alone carrying <laughs> the movie on his shoulders. And that's just not real, right? He is a performer. He's a pretty good – it's like the Beyonce thing. It's like when people realize that – Beyonce is a corporation, basically, is a bunch of people in a committee. They then think, well, then Beyonce's nothing. And it's like, well, sure, but all those people who helped put those songs together by committee, none of them are on that stage for two hours shaking their butt. You know, like the, the reality is she still has to do some of that work. And while we do know that he has people who step in for him, there's still a lot of shit he does on camera, sometimes into his 50s and 60s, that I couldn't do when I was, you know, in my best. So, like, yeah. let's not pretend that this revelation makes him not a great performer it's just this revelation in the in the video was part of this guy's overall thesis which is like Jackie Chan is a guy who's good at something and 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 has made good on that thing he's good at that doesn't make him a morally superior human being yeah, or exactly. some sort of like masterful human and like I, you know I like to pretend because you know as you always like to point out I'm a punk rocker but that's you right. know in general <laughs> I, I like to think of myself as an iconoclast and that's only true up to a certain extent because as much as I like to tear down idols I also love mythology and sometimes you want to have both you want to be skeptical of individual people but still you kind of like the myths about them a little bit I, I think videos like like this are important as a corrective to those myths and yeah, in this particular yeah. one i think it's particularly important because there's something about the marketing of jackie chan that's almost infantilized yes, yes yes where it's like they don't treat him as a human being even when he was making like talk show appearances that they show some clips of right it's very much like wow look what this asian man can do it's a little bit different now than it was in 1994 certainly right. but but it's certainly the public perception is a very crafted um thing for Jackie Chan. His image in the West has been crafted very, very specifically. And that, it's important to show people as real three-dimensional human beings who do ridiculous things. I mean, I knew that he was not a good father. That was not a surprise to me whatsoever. Right. But it's why when we describe him and his personal life, it's it's not something we go into very deeply, but we've always made references to the fact that we do not necessarily want to talk about him outside of his work in the films, but we sure. wanted to at least acknowledge that there's a lot of problematic stuff there. Well, and I think, too, it's worth acknowledging as well, even from a more positive angle, because when he sort of broke in the 90s, how many people – I mean, granted, he had been doing things long before that, but I mean in the U.S. Mm-hmm. How many people went to see those movies just because of the spectacle of he does his own studs, as if that's the only good thing in the movie? Like, there's a lot of humor and characterization and fun choreography in those movies even before he falls down the side of a building, right? Yeah. And and I love those big set pieces, but 
I think if you've seen enough of his movies, you know those big set pieces are not enough to sell the fucking movie. If the rest of the movie isn't good, he could jump through 20 bus windows and it wouldn't matter because it, it that gets boring. It's just not that fun to watch. You know? I just like that even in that marketing in like 1994 around Rumble in the Bronx, I mean, we're already talking about a guy in his 40s, right? You know right, that he yes. can only keep that up for so long in any capacity. Uh, as usual, Liam, in this first segment, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of what Jackie and other people have written about the film that we're going to be covering today. Liam, <laughs> half a loaf of kung fu. Um, in uh, Jackie Chan's most recent biography, Never Grow Up, he only mentions this uh, movie uh, grouped with a you know a lot of movies of this time period, including To Kill with Intrigue, Snake and Crane, Arts of Shaolin, movies that we've covered on this podcast, just really basically as listed as failures at the time. In his uh, earlier biography that he co-wrote, I Am Jackie Chan, uh, it goes into a lot more detail in regards to how this movie came about. And I think it's kind of necessary to talk about this before we jump into the movie proper. Uh, so I'm just going to uh, read a little bit about it here. Um, the, so this is basically what happened is that Lo Wei agreed to let Jackie make a comedy. And what's important to note here is that this movie was made before Snake in the Eagle's Shadow and before Drunken Master. He, he says to Jackie, you think you're so clever, boy? We might as well try to use your mouth for something other than just talking back. So laugh all you want. I have more important things to do. He's, uh, Jackie says, the wheels were already turning in my head. Half a loaf with my big chance to show low and the rest of the world that Kung Fu didn't have to be an agonizing journey of revenge. The theaters were more packed with stone-faced warriors than the ancient battlefields of China ever were. It was, t- it was time to try something different. And so Chen and I, Chen the, d- the director we'll talk about in just a little bit, made half a loaf into a, wa- a piece of wild slapstick, turning the martial arts revenge film upside down and inside out. During the opening credit sequences, instead of showing the standard grim kung fu posturing, the camera cuts back and forth between my furious kicks and punches and a wooden practice dummy, the target of my blows. As the credits end, the camera pulls back into a wide shot showing that the practice dummy I'm attacking is only one foot tall. Uh, So really what we're getting through here is that Jackie, as we had talked about in a lot of previous episodes, wanted to do more comedic work, wanted to show his personality on screen. Lo Wei was always very resistant to it. At least that's the main story, even though we've seen him do some comedic stuff previously. And this was Jackie's big chance. Jackie uh, co-wrote this movie, uh, even though he didn't get uh, credited for it. He choreographed it. He's working uh, with Chen, uh, Chen Chi Hua, who we've talked about previously, who would later become his co-director on a lot of his more classic films in the 1980s or very well-known movies, I should say. And so they made this movie. And when Lo Wei sighed, he fucking hated it. <laughs> Did not like it whatsoever, uh, and it wasn't until Snake in the Eagle Shadow and Drunken Master made Jackie Chan a global superstar that uh, that Lo Wei was like, hey, I have a kung fu comedy I could release, and that oh, ended man. up being half a loaf of kung fu. And in fact, th- he released it in 1978 initially, so right after Snake in the Eagle Shadow and Drunken Master, mm-hmm. and it was kind of a minor financial success, but he gave it a couple of years and with retitles and released it again, and eventually it, this movie made like a huge amount of money uh-huh. from the way. <laughs> it's so funny because uh, I didn't realize the timing on this thing, yeah. and this is our first Low Way story where I'm like, that guy's right. Good, yeah, he's right. Good for <laughs> you, Low Way. You made one good decision in your relationship <laughs> with Jackie Chan. That that might uh, give a little hint towards <laughs> Liam's feelings on this movie. Uh, from the book uh, Jackie Chan Inside the Dragon by Clyde Gentry III, Half a Love of Kung Fu is more than worth a look for fans seeking Chan's first real attempts at comedy, and despite the in-your-face approach, some of the scenes are quite funny. When Lo saw the film, he quickly shelved it, only to release it in 1980 when Chan's popularity was catching on. Uh, it's, uh, it's a complex film, Liam. Um, <laughs> 
But it is it is absolutely overtly a comedy, and it is funny to think that because uh, we we are trying to take a chronological approach to Jackie Chan's career, and it's a little difficult because now we're talking about a movie that was filmed before some of the movies we we're already talking about, but hadn't been released yet. But it's really interesting to see this movie. And now having already watched kung fu comedies that he were in, he was in that were very successful, and then comparing what works in one and doesn't work in the other, and uh, I'm kind of with you. There's a lot that doesn't work in this movie, and some things that really do. Why don't we take a break, Liam? When we come back, we're going to talk about 1978's Half a Loaf of Kung Fu. What's that? Uh, 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 sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, what is this? <laughs> I'm a bit nervous. My hand just slipped. <laughs> that technique, what is it? Huh? Hey, I'll tell you, but keep it secret. Right. The concubine. The concubine? Hmm. Right. Useful? Huh? Of course it is. Hey, look. <laughs> you can't protect all of your body. Try as you may. Oh, <laughs> concubine, huh? Right. I've got it. Good. Hey, I'll see you. A young man poses as the Whip King and collects the reward for a bandit he has seen killed by a famous bounty hunter. He must now learn Kung Fu if he is to live up to this new persona and conquer the enemies he has inherited. It's 1978's Half a Loaf of Kung Fu, a.k.a. Yi Zhao Bin Shi Chuang, Jing Hu. Oh boy, I really am sure I massacred that. Uh, also known as Karate Bomber in West Germany. Yeah, in Germany, they love to call things karate something or other. I think we remember we talked about in Spiritual Kung Fu that they released that as Karate Ghostbusters. Uh, <laughs> described in Jackie Chan's book, I Am Jackie Chan, uh, Half a Love of Kung Fu. I play a hapless wanderer who dreams of one day becoming a Kung Fu master. In the course of my journeys, I befriend a man and his daughter and agree to help them fight off villains who are in search of their precious jade and soul pills. In the process, I learn how to fight, reading the pages of a Kung Fu manual while dodging the attacks of my opponents. In this film, Lo Wei finally gave me creative control, mostly because he was fed up with me. As a result, the entire film is a parody of elements found in most kung fu movies. For instance, the opening credits of a kung fu film is usually a time for the hero to showcase his talents. In my film, I mock the tradition with oddball editing and gratuitous slow motion. You see two fighting Jackies coming from either side of the screen, edited, so it looks like I'm under a strobe light. The two figures meld into one and then split into two again. A sequence in which it looks like I'm attacking a combat dummy is revealed when the camera is pulled back to be me kicking and punching at a dummy that's only 12 inches high. Later in the movie, a gang of thugs beat me up, throwing me to the ground. I see a spinach plant growing next to me, get excited and stuff handfuls of it into my mouth. The Popeye theme song comes on, and suddenly I'm transformed into a fighting machine, flexing my muscles and pounding on my opponents. Low hated this film and refused to release it until much later, but I swear that the film is worth a rental. To quote a line from the film, if I'm lying to you, I'm a son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of swearing in this movie. Uh, it was originally released on July 1st, 1978 in Hong Kong. Uh, we mentioned already that it was directed by Chen Chi Hua, who we've already talked about because he directed Shaolin Wooden Men and Snake and Crane Arts of Shaolin, uh, of which this particular movie shares a lot of cast and crew. Written by uh, Tang Ming Chi, uh, the writer of uh, 1977's Kung Fu Shadow and the fantasy film Warlock of the Battlefield, and uh, co-written by Jackie Chan, though uh, uncredited. And this would have been the first film that Jackie had uh, done some writing on, starring Jackie Chan as Jang, uh, Dean Shek. Uh, the great James Tan, James Tan, who we've seen several times so far. Doris Lung as Fung's daughter, who gets some fighting uh, in here as well. Uh, and uh, and the uh, the uh, wonderful Wu Ma shows up just briefly as a man who urinates against the side of a building. <laughs> this is considered, Liam, one of the first kung fu spoof movies. 
I don't know if that's necessarily accurate to what they're trying to do here. You can see from that description, even though uh, there's been a lot of controversy about how much of that biography was actually written by Jackie Chan, but you can see from really all of the, the writing about it that Jackie's kind of proud of this movie. Because this was the this was supposed to be the break, right? From Loe is like, okay, enough of you, Jackie. You can do whatever you want. And this is something that he had a little bit of creative control over. Liam, what do you think of Half a Loaf of Kung Fu? It stinks. No, it's because we've already made the turn um, to some of the movies that are really, I think, stronger straight up Jackie Chan movies right. that this feels out of place and frustrating in reality. Um, if we put it back among some of the movies we've covered already uh, earlier on in the history of this podcast, then sure. I'd be like, yeah, it's pretty fun. It's whatever. But I, I think what really sticks out about it is this idea that this is a Jackie Chan production, right? Like this is something he made. And yet I find his character to not be my favorite part of this movie. Like I want more of junior beggar, you know, I want more of uh, the, the sword master guy. I want more of even some of the villains, you know, the, the, the five, uh, the five poisons lady, you know, like there were see more of that, the red haired guy with the ponytail. Yeah. Where'd that guy go? You know, (laughs) there, there are a lot of interesting characters in this and some of them are played straight and some of them are played for laughs. But the only character that is consistently trying to be funny, but about 50% of the time is failing, is this Jackie Chan character. And honestly, I'm so confused because I feel like a lot of the ingredients that would become his thing are there, but they're just not working. Um, and, And one of the big problems with it for me is just the reality that in other projects, this goofy character that he plays that is maybe not entirely sold on learning Kung Fu, but kind of learns right. it along the way, mm-hmm. their transformation into a fighter makes sense. <laughs> there are stages. We understand the process. And in this film, he goes from, I can't even defend myself to, I don't know, I'm doing okay over here with <laughs> no explanation. And and it, and, and it feels like he's... He, it feels like that's intentional. Like maybe that's part of the joke. Like, right. look, now he just happens to know more stuff. But in, it doesn't come across as funny. It just comes across as confusing. And then this final uh, 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 section when there's this huge fight, he's somehow learned enough to hold his own. But then he's going to win in the end from just reading pieces of paper <laughs> and trying the moves out and see if they work. It, it, it's It's a gag that I think in a movie with – um, less constant gags maybe could play. But in this one, I'm so tired of the gags that I'm just like, okay, can we just end this thing now? What's more is that even as a goofball in a lot of his other movies, he still does some like really cool stuff. And right. in this movie, there's just not as much interesting choreography from him as I would like. There is some. And some of it is that kind of I'm bumbling myself into this fight that's right. pretty funny. But th- it's just not as much as I want from him. And I don't know if he was holding back or if he just hadn't developed his own style to that point yet. Um, I, you know, it's, it's, it it sort of changes my perspective a little bit to know that this was really early on. So maybe this is just, he's figuring his stuff out and I get that, but it didn't, it didn't play to me as well as some of the movies we recently covered. It was like pretty okay. I didn't, I didn't hate it, but I wasn't really stoked on it. 
it was like some of the movies that we've talked about recently, including Spiritual Kung Fu. It's a movie that the first half I find very difficult because sure, yeah. Jackie's character is just losing fights. There's just tons and tons of comedy, and a lot of the comedy doesn't necessarily play for me. It gets better as it goes along, and certainly by the time that you get to that big fight at the end, the thing is that big fight at the end is played mostly seriously, uh, except for you know Dean Check's character shows up and that comedy yeah. there. But that wouldn't be out of place in really almost any kung fu movie that has a no. little bit of a comedic sense. Uh, but then it goes full-fledged, like, goofy when it comes to Jackie Chan <laughs> learning Kung Fu on the fly. I didn't mind that so much simply because I wanted to see him, you know, show off what he could do, which is kind of the whole point, the build of a lot of these movies. But, yeah, it's interesting to watch this without, you know, a, a Kung Fu comedy that, mm. comedy that didn't have Yun Wu Ping involved with it. And just wondering, well, how much did he bring to Snake in the Eagle's Shadow and Drunken Master to make those movies what they are, and how much were the lessons learned from making those films uh, so influential on Jackie Chan going forward that it basically changed the trajectory of his career? I mean, frankly, Jackie Chan looks like a little bit of a hypocrite here because yeah. he's talked on and on. I mean, it, the fact that this movie didn't get released at the time was was held off for a while. That I mean, he, he has something, uh, you know, he has a case to be made there. But if this was what he had in mind in terms of what a kung fu comedy should be, hey, I don't know if this would have done that well. Though that's an interesting question, too. If this movie got released in Hong Kong before Snake in the Eagle's Shadow, would people have flocked to it? Would people have said, oh, this is something so different that we want to check it out? I'm very curious about that. I mean... It's funny that you bring up the when Dean uh, Dean Shechtian shows up because I I feel like his comedic style in this movie is what is is what I want from Jackie Chan to some extent. Yeah. I mean it's it's a little more of a caricature than Jackie Chan tends to do. Jackie Chan in a lot of these other movies he's a little more grounded than than Dean Sheck is. But sure, the Dean Sheck points parts are are funny. Like they're actually kind of funny, and yeah, yeah. he does some actual butt kicking, and that's what you want, right? You want to balance these things out. Um, the funny yeah. thing about that is that, like, his ability as a martial artist is is so much less than Jackie Chan, but sure. he makes more of an impact in a lot of ways in this movie because of how he's presented, which just shows you how much more important that presentation is than the abilities of the person necessarily. I mean, if this is supposed to be a lambasting or a send up of kung fu movies, it it doesn't hit that hard, right? Like, no, like it doesn't. I don't know that you know. I don't know that anyone whose bread and butter was the traditional kung fu movie is going to watch this and go, "Oh, they really got me. They really showed me how ridiculous you know, on, we are." On the on the eighty eight films commentary for this film, one of the people said that this movie is like like an airplane type spoof of martial arts films. Which is very strange to hear because A, it's not. It's not that style of comedy whatsoever. And B, there is an airplane style spoof made by the people who made airplane of kung fu movies that exist in the Kentucky Fried movie. And that doesn't resemble this at all either. Well, but also there's there's no way for that era of Americans to mock kung fu and not be yeah. racist. They just can't I, I mean that's it. true. They just can't help themselves. But you no, know, I mean, uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. It doesn't feel that sharp. I, I, I mean, it's worth acknowledging that part of the issue here might be cultural. Like maybe there are jokes that we're not picking up on. Oh, almost know? certainly so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, there are other comedies that he does later that that I think do work on, on multiple levels where it's easier for us. So I, I don't know. I, I want to admit our own limitations before we sort of dig a hole for this movie. But for me, it's like, while there are aspects of this that like are really fun, they're almost always the, 
the very brief serious moments I find more interesting than the funny moments. I, with one exception, the uh, the guy who he steals the food way early on in the movie, the guy who he steals the food from, and he tells the guy to look in the thing, and the dude just gets killed by the Venom woman. <laughs> yeah. That part was the first part where I went, okay, maybe we're going to actually be funny. <laughs> I just like how was pleased hilarious. he was that the guy was killed. It's like, yeah. okay. <laughs> well, before we jump into some of the more detailed parts of it, and there's a lot that I like about this movie, too. I don't want to make it seem like it's all doom and gloom. Um, I want to ask you, Liam, why is this movie called Half a Loaf of Kung Fu? No idea. I couldn't figure it out the whole movie. <laughs> I've read several discussions about this movie. I listened to the commentary. It doesn't seem like there's any clear explanation for why it is not a translation of the uh, of the actual Chinese title of this, so it's not that. I don't know what half a loaf if if it's an expression in some part of the world like that he's because he doesn't have like all the kung fu that he needs that he only has half a loaf. I guess you could make some sense of it, but it feels like it's supposed to be referencing something that doesn't exist. So it's really difficult <laughs> to know what what we're supposed to be getting from this. Um, Liam, the opening credits of this are very notable. We get to see Jackie Chan in a number of different costumes. He even mentioned it in that description there from the biography. Um, and one of the things he does is – it's actually – there's a few kind of very memorable moments. We brought up several times already him fighting the little uh, Shaolin Wooden Man thing, which is really funny. But also he gets to dress up like Zatoichi in the opening credits, which I have to say – I can't remember if those credits were on the version of this I saw in the late 90s, which was just a full screen, junky, terrible looking version. But I certainly, even if I had seen the opening credits, I would not have recognized Zatoichi at that time. What did you think of the opening credits of Half a Loaf of Kung Fu? I was hoping that we were... I, I was a little put off by them because I wasn't expecting this level of sort of silliness. Right. And I couldn't decide if I was stoked for that. Like, maybe this is just going to be ridiculous top to bottom and i was a little interested in what that would be but also a little nervous because i thought yeah that could go pretty wrong pretty quick so hopefully there's there's something some balance here uh i just want to let you know half a loaf is a phrase that people use that is meant to suggest that you are getting not as much as you want but better than nothing well Uh, that is my feelings about this movie yeah i was about to say it's actually the perfect title Uh, it's, if, that, if that's what we're, if that's what it's meant to convey, that it is actually a great title. I just don't know that it's. I, I, I think the suggestion is more what you were saying that he, that's how much kung fu he has as yeah. a character as half a loaf. But I think as an audience member, I'm like, well, it's better than no kung fu movie, I guess. But it's certainly not enough. <laughs> so, so I really like the opening credits simply because. You get to see Jackie do so many different things. I did want to bring up one moment to you from it, which is there's a part where he's attacked and uh, I think it's, they're throwing darts or knives at him and he gets attached to a wall in like a Christ pose and it plays a bit of the music from Jesus Christ Superstar uh-huh. by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Weber, what did you think of that? <laughs> I mean, whatever, it's fine, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> are you looking for a stronger response to, than that, Doug? Were you know. amused by it, Leo? <laughs> I mean, I thought the whole opening credits were kind of funny, but it felt like something you would do in college. It felt like <laughs> we're in a variety show in college. That's the level of humor. That you we're mean getting. because of all the Benny Hill running around in fast motion type yeah, stuff? Yeah, it's just it's just goofy. It's just the the most obvious thing. I mean, I think it's it's helpful to think. It, well, I will say it's helpful to know 
that um, there is a bit of international culture here, right? Like, it's easy, I think, for American audience to view kung fu movies and martial arts movies from Hong Kong specifically as almost like culturally isolated and not acknowledge like they were watching many of the same things we, you know, people in other parts of the world are watching. So him borrowing from Zatoichi, like that's, you know, that's not exactly the same world. That's not exactly the same sort of like genre. Right. But then borrowing from Jesus Christ Superstar, it's like, okay, we're really on an international stage here that I got kind of stoked because I like the idea of a kung fu movie also roasting parts of american culture right jesus christ superstar at the time was pretty popular you know so i was like okay you know that'll that could be neat and uh and there's none of that in the rest of the movie other than the popeye thing which i don't particularly care about so let's talk about that right now so what happens so we have jackie chan he's kind of a, a a lowbrow character he ends up uh getting a job as like a handyman at this kung fu school and um he has a dream uh, and in that dream he's beating up a bunch of guys because he he first he gets beat up then he finds some spinach it plays the popeye theme i swear that this thing where someone eats spinach and the popeye theme plays has been in at least a half a dozen different martial arts movies from this time period i think uh, jackie chan does it in another i think movie. jackie chan does it in other movies as well Popeye must have had a huge influence at that particular time period. I, I actually uh, think Popeye was surprisingly popular, it, considering how little people talk about it now. It's like kind of a lost sort yeah. of cultural thing. I think those Popeye cartoons played all over the world. I mean, it must have, it makes sense because the Popeye movie, the Robert Altman one, came out in 1980. So this must have been pretty close to the height of uh, his his relevance at that time period. So why did you not care for this particular fight scene? It's really the first major one in the film and it's the first one featuring Jackie Chan. I mean, first off, the whole thing where he's walking around pretending like he has giant muscles just was <laughs> in and of itself awkward. Uh I don't know. I just don't care about it. It's nothing about it was like fun for me the same way that like and again, I didn't even really like the Jesus Christ Superstar thing that much. But it was like <laughs> but it was like unexpected at least. Sure. And this was like I saw it coming. As soon as he landed and I saw a plant. I was like, oh, here we go. Popeye. All right. We're going to do the Popeye thing. <laughs> it's I, I, I'd love for him to have made some other um, uh, uh, more cultural, even like doing like a Bugs Bunny thing would have been or a Three Stooges thing would have been more fun. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> I mean, that kind of idea feels like a very nascent um, version of what you'd see like Stephen Chow do in Kung Fu Hustle many years later, right? Where he brings in a lot of those Looney Tunes-esque elements to the, the martial arts. But he sells it. I In that particular sequence, the way that Jackie Chan is acting is that he knows what he's doing is stupid. And what Stephen Chow manages to do in a lot of things is do something stupid and make you think he thinks it's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, sometimes the joke is that he's selling it that he thinks it's a real thing, and then someone calls his bluff and he reveals that he knows it's stupid and he runs away, which is also really fucking funny. Like, I just think that the, whatever the, the humor is supposed to be in the scene, it doesn't work for me. So it's really difficult to summarize the plot of this movie. Uh, even the, the, the plot summary I did at the very beginning and the one from I Am Jackie Chan really only cover a small piece of it. So just basically, Jackie Chan, he encounters this hero, Hero Lao, fighting a bad guy. Hero Lao has this whip that he fights with. In the fight, they end up both dying. 
And uh, but Jackie Chan finds out that Hiro Lau was trying to uh, fight this bad guy because he was a wanted criminal. So he pretends to be Hiro Lau instead, and he goes in and gets the uh, bounty for this guy. That ends up leading to a various odd uh, events where he ends up connecting with a different hero, Hiro Fong, and joining his march across this area where he's supposed to be bringing treasure and medicine across, you know, I guess a, a large expanse of land, and he needs people to protect him. He already has James Tian as one of his bodyguards, but he knows there's lots of people who want his money and his medicine, so he brings on Jackie Chan as part of his his um, convoy, uh, which includes his daughter as well and some other people. And that is basically the brunt of the second half of the movie is lots of bad guys. There's something like seven of them all trying to attack this convoy and them trying to stop them from doing it. I think that's basically what's going on. Liam, what was the most notable fight for you in this film? Or maybe some notable fights? Huh. That's a good question. Um, hmm. It it is difficult because most of the fights in this movie are very short. There's just a lot of like there's like a burst of action. Like to give an example, and this uh, probably is not a surprise to you who've seen a lot of kung fu movies this time period. James Tian, who plays one of the bodyguards of um, of Harold Fung in this, he uh, turns. <laughs> he becomes a bad guy <laughs> at one point, uh, just like he played a villain in a lot of movies at this time period. And Jackie has a fight with Harold Fung's uh, him and Harold Fung's daughter. They fight off uh, James Tian, and that's a really fun segment, but it only lasts like a couple of minutes. Yeah, I mean, that's it's there, there's a number of sequences that I think are interesting in their own right, like the one that we actually already described of uh, the um, the whip hero fighting yeah. the other gentleman. There's some fun stuff in there, like the fan that hides the killer darts. That was pretty yeah. good. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, the first, when it started, his first fight, Jackie Chan, on his own, um, where he ends up killing the one guy by accident. <laughs> that actually started off kind of funny. Like I, when he kills that guy by mistake, because the dude's like, "Oh, I'm gonna whip the crap out of you," and then by mistake he shoots the needle, uh, the uh, the uh, darts and kills yep. the dude. I was like, "Sick, okay, with this, we're we're getting into it now. This is gonna be fun." And then as soon as the woman shows up. They play too much with this joke of she's just jumps over and she's there whenever he yeah, goes yeah. back and forth. That gets so old so quick. It just doesn't really – it's not that funny. But I will say whenever the older beggar character shows up or the younger beggar character shows up, both of which are funny. I love the 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 whole stereotype, which we've now seen in a ton of Jackie Chan stuff yeah. we've covered, of the old man who lives you know the 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 life of a of a wandering hermit who also is a kung fu master. That's still one of my favorite characters. Like yeah. I just it works so well. I really like it. Um, look, thinking about later on, you're right. There is the part where him and hero uh, it's a hero Fong's daughter. They, him and hero Fong's daughter. Fong, yeah, played by Doris Long, who I think is really good in this. Yeah, I think I she's think really good too. Also, the movies. whip the whip guy's sister, right, is yeah. is pretty good too. She yeah. beats up Jackie Chan. It's it's quick, but it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> The, the who has what kung fu abilities in this seem to change from scene to scene. Yeah, that is for sure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I'll, by the way, you mentioned that uh, that the the guy that Jackie Chan uh, is fighting, and then he gets hit by the darts and, and kind of dies accidentally. Then the 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 snake witch woman 
right. uh, who's one of the villains in this. She dies accidentally as well. And really, <laughs> most of the big baddies die accidentally. Just fucking- Yeah, no one is like good. Even the heroes when they show up are not that good at fighting. Like, yeah, y- exactly. you're given the idea that once the older beggar shows up, everyone's done for because he's the man. And sure. he gets pretty beat up pretty yep. quick. <laughs> like, yeah. I guess because of his age. But there's still this feeling of like, man, it, if, if this was following the logic of most of these movies – the villain would have to win because he's actually tougher than everybody else. But instead, <laughs> he just messes up and backs gets hit into a spear and dies. They also um, do that thing, which is very much a cliche, where we have, like, at, at the end of the movie, all the bad guys have been killed except for one. Yeah. But we still have, like, six or seven good guys. And they watch one, you know, one of the good guys go and attack the guy. And the rest of them just literally stand in a line and watch. And then at one point, someone will say, hey, maybe I should go help him. And they jump in and fight. And yeah. <laughs> also, the introduction of a random bad guy we didn't know anything about. When he just shows up, he's like, you beat up my son. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> and like, he becomes the major yeah, villain of the entire the, movie. He's, he's the, He was the big bad the whole time. Everyone else yeah. he has was these a curved blades. It's, it's that, he does some real... I would probably say that my favorite fight is the... Dean Shack's stuff versus him at the end, yeah. leading into Jackie versus him. Because at that point, at least Jackie's showing off a lot of his acrobatics. Actually, I want to point out, you put it on this list and I had forgotten about it. When Jackie's fighting the guy with the two hatchet axes. Who's that guy? He wasn't even in the rest of the movie. I don't just think. a henchman. He's just a henchman. <laughs> yeah. But he's got axes, so it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And at one point, he uses his knee to make the guy basically chop his own neck with the axe. Yes. That shit was sick. That was like one of only a few moments where I was like, oh, man, Jackie Chan. Like he... He actually did a bit of chore- cho- blah, blah, blah. he actually did a bit of choreography that was like impressive to watch because a lot of the other stuff is like even he can do silly stuff and have it be cool, but he does the butt joke twenty times. He does yeah, he the sure princess does. hit like fifty times. Like it's just not that fun anymore. And so the few times where he does something that's actually kind of neat. It stands out like he so for people who haven't seen it, he this guy is fighting him with two hatchets. It's scary. It's like, uh, you know, whenever I see something like that, I think, oh, man, I I would be so scared of getting cut by those two fucking axes. And Jackie Chan traps the guy's axe with his knee and then through a series of movements basically gets the guy to cut his own neck with the axe. It's (laughs) sick. It's so well done. And then after that, he doesn't do cool stuff for another like five minutes. It's so weird. (laughs) And this is all part of like this lengthy like 15 minute long fight at the end which is just a bunch of like mini fights within it what did you think of that part in the final fight where the villain uh his wig is taken off jackie chan uses his wig like nunchucks while imitating bruce lee um it certainly makes that sequence which is supposed to be the most dramatic and important of the film it sort of undercuts it a bit but what did you think it kind of in a vacuum i thought it was dumb Again, it's I don't want to make I don't want to make it seem like all of the humor doesn't work. Like I think there is humor in this that does work. But some of those kind of jokes just I was like, what what are we fucking doing right now? Like what is this? And uh that one it it was just it, it, it I felt it was bad timing and I felt it was not very well executed if I'm being honest. I think it that fight in particular has a lot of really good stuff in it, but then it kind of pauses every once in a while to be like, "Hey, we're making a comedy here." It's it's because of the stakes that are supposed to be, at, you know, at stake in that final scene. Most of it is played 
somewhat seriously. So the comedy really does stick out. That one is a very kind of goofy one. It's also strange to see someone overtly act like Bruce Lee and have someone say that he's acting like Bruce Lee in a movie that's supposed to be taking place hundreds of years in the past. Well, I think it's there's a it, that's just supposed to be one of those moments where it's like, hey, it's like we're breaking the wall, we're being meta, yeah. and it's just like not funny. Just like someone actually overtly references the Zatuichi thing in the movie when he's using a pole, uh, Dean Check's character later in the movie as well. Though I don't know if that's part of just the subtitles or not. One of the other things about the action in this movie, uh, Jackie Chan was the choreographer, but in the the actual filmmaking, there are frames taken out sometimes when people are hitting uh, or, or striking. And it's really distracting to me to see that. And yeah, it's we've seen a lot of like speeding up and, and other filmmaking tricks, and that's something we'll continue to see. But in this particular one, the way they do it is, I, I just think it, it 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 takes away from the fights. And there's also a lot of that Benny Hill style speeding up, people just running around in circles and stuff like that. Not my not my favorite style of comedy. Liam, I want you to explain. <laughs> So, so as I've already mentioned, this is about this convoy. They're bringing this medicine. They have this jade and they're being attacked by villains all around. What is revealed at the very end of this movie? It was all bullshit. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the treasures aren't real. They just needed a way to, to, to flush out all the bandits. And then, and then they fucking pat themselves on the back. Whereas the plot of the movie should end with them going, yeah, it was just a faint, and then it almost blew up in our faces, and we almost died. Luckily, this jerk-off asshole who doesn't even know Kung Fu showed up, who, by the way, was not part of the plan, because it's like, not only is Jackie Chan's character not good at Kung Fu, he's also the only reason that these supposedly Kung Fu masters don't end up murdered by these bandits. <laughs> and to even make it worse, this is not the first movie we've seen where this is the plot reveal. Like, it's not even a great reveal because I feel like, uh, maybe not in, maybe not Jackie Chan movies, but I feel like I've seen a lot of other movies where they're like, oh, it was all a lie so we could get the bandits. <laughs> we just wanted to get the bandits. And I'm like, well, that's fucked up, man. Like, people got hurt. Like, what are we doing? You I know? like how it's important that the, the hero, the guy who, who came up with this plan, like, didn't tell anyone in his crew because otherwise his own bodyguard wouldn't have turned on him and became one of the villains yeah. in the movie. It's a really bizarre reveal. But like you said, well, it isn't. And, and then the old man beggar who didn't know when it's revealed, he thinks it's the funniest fucking yeah. thing that's ever he happened. Sure He's like so tickled like this. Like, ah, you're, you've, you've really learned from me and my teachings. And I'm like, they, these people suck. These are the worst uh, mentors to have ever had. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about uh, Jackie Chan's character, Zhang, in this film. Um, you, you've mentioned already several times, Liam, you're pretty conflicted about the comedy in this. You're pretty conflicted about the character itself. What do you think about Jackie Chan's performance in this film? I mean, it's it's not terrible. I, I It's hard because I think the, the, the content, which he's also responsible for yeah. to some extent, isn't, yeah. isn't good. No. Uh, but I don't think it's terrible. It's certainly not... Like some of the other things we've watched with him have been kind of painful at times, so it's not that. Uh, but it's not as good as it could be. He's not as charming, he's not as funny, and we don't get to see him do quite as much kind of neat stuff, you know. Like, and, and by that, I don't mean later Jackie Chan where he's hanging from a helicopter, so <laughs> I just mean like fun choreography, you know. Yeah. He, he doesn't do as much of that in this movie as he does in just some of the movies we covered recently. It, it's not that it feels restrained. You know, that structure that 
that became so popular and already existed, but that structure that we see in Snake and the Eagle Shadow and Drunken Master, where he's a guy who either knows a very little amount of Kung Fu or no Kung Fu at all, and he ends up getting trained in a series of training sequences, and you see that struggle, and usually before that training sequence, he got beat, his ass completely destroyed by some guy, and then later he has to fight that guy again and show what he's learned. That's a great structure for a reason, right? It gives a lot of dramatic weight to everything that happens. Nothing really matters in this movie, so it's hard to take any of it very seriously, and you could say, well, it's a comedy. You're not supposed to take it seriously. Those are comedies too, right? They just have serious moments in them because it's supposed to make you care about what's happening. That's the thing I was missing here. I just didn't care about anything. Jackie Chan, yeah, he's not the most likable character, but that could be fine if he, at the end, was like, okay, now I need to get serious and show what I have. But no, he's just as goofy at the end and kind of, uh, uh, you know, he's kind of just fucking around at the end, just like he was at the very beginning. So it's just a hard movie to, to really kind of connect with on any level outside of, oh, I like this gag. I don't like that gag. It does. It also lacks a sense of both in the comedic and the serious versions of this kind of story. There's like a triumph. There's like a there's like a climax of emotions where you see how this character has evolved. become and evolved mm-hmm. and and is now someone that you can feel a certain amount of pride in. Whether they, uh, whether it was their perseverance or their intelligence, their wits. Or even just a technique. Like sometimes these characters are still the same person. They just learned that if they hook their finger a certain way, <laughs> they can fuck some guy up. Even <laughs> even that is more whatever. There, there's nothing. I mean, you 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 said. It, I like, like how base some of those suggestions are. By the way, it's like hmm, maybe I should kick three times instead of one time. Oh, wow, totally. that's way better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, that's. I mean, I, I will say that's one of the funny things. Is like you'll have a movie where the whole thesis of the movie is like this guy isn't. Strong stronger or smarter or a better person he just figured out a different way to punch so now he's the best martial artist in the world (laughs) and and sometimes they're conflated like because he's such a good person in other ways he then discovers this trick but a lot of these movies work where no he just figured out how to punch a different way so now he's he's the man (laughs) but in this movie there's nothing there is nothing for us to latch onto in that way it's just supposed to be fun and I don't think it's fun enough to justify it's just supposed to be fun. It it needed to be more fun for it to ha- not give me any of the satisfaction that those other movies do. Can you list anything else that makes this movie not work that then does work in Snake and the Eagle Shadow or Drunken Master, right? Because the well, idea is, that it, you know, what's, what's the X factor that keeps one from being the other? Drunken Master has funny moments. Not a, not, it's not, I don't, I, it was probably funnier in its context than it is now, but it is funny. Right. And I think there's a defined character in Drunken Master mm-hmm. that that I believe is is a character. Whereas Jackie Chan in this movie, there's nothing there. There's no nothing to care about. In Snake and Eagle Shadow, for me at least, we see a process. We see like a, a like a like a learning process, and we get someone invested in the way that he's becoming someone else, and that isn't in this movie either. Um, so I don't know. I it, I guess it's a little intangible, but for me, it just feels like this movie feels so much lighter and forgettable than those two movies. I do want to say that we are still very lucky to be able to see this movie in uh, what what seems to be a complete. Form widescreen the the print that we saw this was really nice looking yeah uh, the eighty eight films release of it uh, and it's it compared to the version I saw yeah, again this is one of those ones that were were released on these collections of low way movies 
full screen dubbed, probably huge chunks cut out of it. So we're, we're at least able to appreciate it on uh, on a <laughs> maybe not the production value. It's not the greatest looking movie in the world. I think it was made in um, probably Korea, they say, or either that or Taiwan. The, that's another thing about a lot of the movies at this time period. They were made so quickly that even the memories that people have of them are a little skewed. It's hard to tell what is right and what isn't. Uh, but I did listen to the commentary on the 88 film's release of this. And it's an interesting, fun commentary. A lot of goofing around on it. But I do think that the two commentators have a little bit of a higher opinion about this, just like Jackie Chan himself does, than I do. I think it's worthwhile in terms of the evolution of what Jackie Chan was trying to do at that period. And also, because of what we were talking about, Liam, sort of a corrective to this low-way reputation thing and the idea it's like okay you want to make a kung fu comedy he let them make the kung fu comedy that they wanted to make and guess what wasn't that good what he really needed was an intermediary someone like yun Ping, who could you know craft something that maybe had a better story that had a better structure and that could create that jackie chan character that basically he would ride for the next 40 years afterwards and continues to to a certain extent not to say that there isn't some variation on that. Liam, any final words on half a loaf of Kung Fu? Well, I think with our audience, we are always considering both the casual and the committed Jackie Chan fan. Sure. I think for the committed fan, you still got to watch this because this is the beginning, right? This is the thing. This is like when you love a band and you know that the members of that band were in a band before that wasn't as good but you, you just want to hear them sort of developing. I think that's still going on here, and it's worth knowing, and I guess we know this, but seeing evidence of the idea that he didn't just come out of the gate being the icon that he became. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't come out knowing exactly what the formula was. He made some mistakes, and I, and I think that's instructive. But I think for the casual Jackie Chan fan who, like, loves the obvious movies and is, is willing to give the more obscure stuff a try – I don't know that this is worth your time. I think yeah. I don't I don't think this is worth searching out even though it's very available now. I don't think it's even worth get, getting it if you're not someone who's like more of a completist. I think this is really a movie for the Jackie Chan fan who's like I need to see everything. Well, this is everything and I, and I, and I didn't feel like it was a waste of my time. I just was surprised how much it wasn't as good as some of the other things he had going on that we have watched recently. Liam, on the next episode of We Do Our Own Stunts, we are going to be, we could be watching um, the movie Two and Black Belt from 1978, which apparently has a Jackie Chan cameo in it. I'm actually going to check out that cameo just to see what it encompasses. My understanding is that it, it is not going to be worth watching and talking about an entire movie just for Jackie Chan's appearance in it. Instead, we're going to move right on and right along into 1979's The Fearless Hyena. Now, Liam, this was the first old school Jackie Chan movie I ever saw. After I watched Rumble in the Bronx, I started looking for movies. There were things that were available to me uh, that that uh, some of the lower movies we've already talked about that that didn't have any kind of comedic bent to it. Fearless Hyena was my first exposure to what really not just old school Jackie Chan, but really my first experience with a lot of the style of martial arts films of that time period. Have you ever seen The Fearless Hyena before? I have never even heard of it before. It's my memory is that it's it's good. It's 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 maybe not as good as Snake of the Eagle's Shadow, Drunken Master, but it feels like a continuation of those kind of movies. 
So it very much, uh, you know, a, an evolution past what we covered in Half a Loaf of Kung Fu. Maybe my memory is wrong. I'm very curious about checking it out again. Uh, there's also a sequel to that movie, The Fearless Hyena 2, which it, well, we'll talk about that when we talk about the movie proper. It's not really a Jackie Chan movie at all uh, for reasons that we'll get into. But on the next episode, if we do our own stunts, Liam, The Fearless Hyena. Are you excited? Yay. <laughs> I think you'll enjoy it more once you've actually watched it. Or maybe I'll eat my words on that. Liam, for people who want to check out more episodes of We Do Our Own Stunts or other Cinema Smorgasbord or Cinepunks podcasts, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, of course, they can head over to Cinepunks.com. That's C-A-N-E-P-U-N-X.com for episodes of this show, as well as Twitch of the Death Nerve, Horror Business, The Carnage Report, Shameless Picture Show, Cinepunks, a whole bunch of, whole bunch of shows over there. Um, there's also writing and a merch store. Uh, they can uh, follow Cinepunks on social media. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, and we have a Twitch channel, you know, that we occasionally do stuff on. Uh, or, you know, they can head to our website, Doug, cinemasmorgasbord.com, where we have the archive of the variety of, of different shows that we do, whether it's uh, shows about Steve Buscemi, Carol Kane, uh, George Kennedy, uh, Dick Miller, Alejandro Jorowski. Uh, we, we do a lot of stuff. So uh, head on over to cinemasmorgasbord.com or toss us a follow on Twitter at cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. You can, of course, also follow Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. And I'm on there as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. Uh, I also want to mention, by the way, Fearless Hyena, Jackie Chan's first directorial Effort. So we're very curious to see his eye for filmmaking when we get to that movie. But for now, Liam, it's time to say goodbye to Jackie Chan for another episode. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, why don't you uh, rate it on your podcast provider of choice or recommend it to a friend? But for now, Liam, we need to say goodnight. Night night. Mato